It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. You can stream live uh, on 930amtheanswer.com, or you can go to our website at www.talklawradio.com to watch or listen to all the previously recorded episodes. If you want to watch the episodes, you can search Talk Law Radio on Facebook. So today, we're going to be talking about power of attorney law, and uh, the State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law, but because legal advice must be tailored for specific circumstances of each case, and laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information you hear today should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans, including new businesses and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family-limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, like guardianships, probate, real estate, breach of contract, and personal injury. Check out our blog at marquartlawfirm.com to read about searching for a lost will and planning for a vacation. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk about the law on the radio. Please forgive us for our sins, our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing and failing to do your will. Please help me to give good information to the listeners about power of attorney law today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today we're talking about power of attorney law, but before we get started, I just want to mention that I like to talk about all areas of law. Even though I focus on business and estate law, I like to invite other attorneys to be a guest on the show to talk about law that they might be experienced in. So if you have legal questions that I haven't talked about yet or that you don't remember me talking about, 
please email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S as in Sam, T as in Timothy, at talklawradio.com. Like I said, we're talking about power of attorney law, and it's a little confusing when somebody says power of attorney. Is that the power that I have as an attorney at law? No, this is a little bit different. It's the power that you give somebody else to act as your agent. We used to say attorney in fact, but that was confusing as well. So your friend, your family member, your bank, your trustee could be your agent who you designate to make legal and financial decisions for you. So first, I'm going to talk a lot about what a power of attorney is and how it works, and then I'll talk about some changes that the Texas legislature made in 2017 to update the power of attorney law, and then I'll talk about some court cases, some case studies, some situations that have actually happened, and what the courts do to resolve issues and problems that come up. So what is a power of attorney? It's a legal document where you get to choose someone you trust to make financial and legal decisions for you. So what are some good things to think about when you're deciding about who you should trust? I would caution you away from naming your oldest child. I hear this all the time. He or she is the oldest. He or she is going to be in charge. And when I start asking questions about um, the, the adult children's lifestyle and values, sometimes it appears to me that the oldest child is not the, the most trustworthy or the best qualified person to name as an agent for power of attorney. So this should be something that you really think about, not just name the oldest child or the oldest son, as is the the habit in some cultures. So the Texas legislature thinks that this is so important that on the statutory form, the form that the legislature blesses as uh, legal and authoritative to be documented proof of the person that you've named to make these decisions, the legislature has put or asked attorneys to put at the very top of the very first page a notice in all caps. It says, the powers granted by this document are broad and sweeping. They are explained in the Durable Power of Attorney Act, subtitle P, Title II, Estates Code. If you have any questions about these powers, obtain competent legal advice. This document does not authorize anyone to make medical or other health care decisions for you. You may revoke this power of attorney if you later wish to do so. If you want your agent to have the authority to sign home equity loan documents on your behalf, this power of attorney must be signed by you at the office of the lender, an attorney at law, or a title company. So I'm just going to talk about a few of these things because the legislature thought that they were important enough to put them in all caps. 
That means it's important. Obtain competent legal advice. Attorneys don't just draft documents. They're not just selling paper. They're giving legal advice about important things for you to consider that you probably wouldn't have known without talking to the attorney. So it's important that you understand what you're getting yourself into and who you're turning things over to. So again, it's important because this person is going to be able to sign your name on legal documents. And so you want that to be the right person. And I have uh, a list of things that you should consider when um, looking at who you should choose. Number one, is this person trustworthy? Are they worthy of trust? Think in your mind, what are some characteristics that a trustworthy person has? Okay, you've thought about it. Some things that come to my mind are, does this person keep their word? Do they keep their promises? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Do they follow through? Do they finish things? Do they understand things? So there has to be some knowledge and some uh, critical thinking ability here. Although you don't have to name an attorney to do this job, you can name a family member, a friend, uh, a trusted advisor, an adult child. You just want to make sure that they think things through. Also, I suggest that they make good financial decisions for themselves. Do they have a reputation for doing well with their own finances? Have you heard about them talking about creditors calling? If they have creditors calling, they may not be paying their bills. They may not be opening their mail. And if they're not doing that for themselves, you may not be able to expect them to do that for you. So you want them to have a good financial reputation. Are they a good steward of their resources? Do you think that they save their own money? Do you think that they spend frivolously or impulsively? You don't want someone like that spending your money impulsively or frivolously. You want them to be a good steward. And if you can't think of anybody that has these characteristics... It's okay. You can still love and admire your friends for their other good qualities. You might want to name a bank or a trust company to be agent on power of attorney. Now, presumptively, they'll do a very good job because they have manuals that tell them how to fulfill their duties under this type of power. The disadvantage is that they're going to charge a fee. And if you're at all worried about somebody wasting your money, well, that would be much more costly than the cost of paying a professional. So just keep those things in mind. We're going to take a break. Uh, just want to remind you, we're on Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. I'm not giving legal advice because that would require that I know your specific legal situation. Instead, I'm just giving information about what a 
power of attorney is and how it works and and some things that all professionals consider when informing people about power of attorney law. I'm usually on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. That's the radio. And I'm also on Apple Podcasts. So you can listen to me by looking at your iPhone, clicking the podcast button, and searching Talk Law Radio. I'll be right back. longer able to care for yourself or your home. Without powers of attorney, your loved ones will be forced to the world of court battles and guardianship lawsuits to declare you to be incapacitated. Better yet, ask about a living trust containing your instructions about where you want to live, how you want to be taken care of if you have a heart attack, stroke, or develop Alzheimer's or dementia. Call Marquardt Law Firm and find out how a living trust can help your loved ones settle your affairs without a judge in court. Call 210-530-4278. That's 210-530-4278. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. Listen up to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today I'm talking about power of attorney law. And before the break, we were talking about who would be a good choice to be your agent to make decisions on your behalf if you become incapacitated. I I had a list, and so I didn't quite finish. I'm going to run down that list one more time before we continue talking about what a power of attorney is. Okay, who should be the agent? What characteristics show somebody is trustworthy? We talked a lot about that. How do you know the agent is qualified to make good financial decisions? Hopefully, you know the person very well that you're about to name. You know their experience, you know their education, you know their level of critical thinking because you probably hang out with that person. Maybe you go to church with them. Maybe you have Sunday dinners with them. You want to know them well enough to know what their thought process is when they're making important decisions. Does the person have financial and investment expertise? If they don't, that's okay. They just need to be sophisticated enough to hire people that do have financial and investment expertise. Maybe they have a financial advisor. They don't have to be a financial advisor themselves. In fact, if it's your financial advisor, they would probably prefer not to do that job because they already have a duty to make sure that your investments are doing well. And usually the financial institutions have policies against them serving as your trustee or agent. Now, they might have the financial institution might have a trust department, somebody else to do that job, that would allow your financial advisor to continue managing the money. Are there conflicts of interest? So if you name a friend or a family member, you want to make sure that they don't have an interest in in your funds or you don't have an interest in theirs. So if they owe you money, it may not be a good fit. If you owe them money, it might not be a good fit. In fact, when the court is appointing somebody to be guardian, 
something that happens when you don't have power of attorney, the guardian, the proposed guardian, the person who's uh, petitioning the court to be guardian, has to swear under oath that they don't owe you any money and that you don't owe them any money. That's a conflict of interest because if they're going to be making financial decisions on your behalf, it would be in their interest to pay themselves first. And so that's why we call that a conflict. Another factor, does the person have time to do this? We're all very busy nowadays in this age and time in society. We try and get as much done as we can, and some people are very busy. They may not have time to do this, in which case you may have to find somebody who does have time. I just caution you, don't find somebody who has nothing to do. Somebody that's uh, been fired from work, who is unemployed, who doesn't get out of bed until noon, may not be a good choice because maybe they're not motivated enough to get things done. And so there's a happy medium there. And of course, you have to weigh all of these factors. Some of the factors may weigh more heavily. Maybe the fact that they're busy uh, weighed against the, their expertise and their track record and making important decisions for you in the past or at least advising you about that or helping you to make decisions outweighs the fact that they're busy. Okay, moving on to another factor. If you choose your spouse, which most people do, if you can't trust your spouse, who can you trust? So if you do choose your spouse, is there a risk of divorce, separation, or annulment? If there is a risk of divorce, separation, or annulment, this person might not have your best interest in mind. <laughs> okay. If a child is chosen, is there a risk of family conflict? Going back to the the cultural norm that you would choose your oldest son to make decisions for you might not be a good idea. It might not be a good idea to choose your youngest daughter if it's going to create more conflict in the family than it's worth, then maybe it's best to name a bank, a trust company, or a professional fiduciary, because then there's no family conflict. All of them can band together to hate the bank. Okay, next factor. Is the person currently indebted to you? If she, if he or she's in debt to others, so going back to that question I raised before the break, are the creditors calling? If you think so, there might be a financial temptation for the agent to put your money at risk. We don't want them to do that. Okay, lastly, a factor for choosing your agent under durable power of attorney is, does the proposed agent have a good reputation for financial management? Sorry I said that one before, but it's worth repeating. Okay, next we're going to talk about more about the power of attorney form. The statutory form, the one that's blessed by the legislature, says... You should name someone you trust to serve as your agent. 
Unless you specify otherwise, generally the agent's authority will continue until. When the power of attorney is no good, these are three situations when the power of attorney is no good. Number one, you die. The power of attorney is only good while you're alive. Uh, this is very confusing for some people because they will try to use the power of attorney after death. They'll take it to the bank. They'll try and access accounts. That doesn't work because the power of attorney authority ends upon death. Number two, if you revoke the power of attorney, if you tear it up, if you destroy it, if you sign a piece of paper that says you revoke the power of attorney, then it's no longer valid. Number three, your agent resigns and you don't have anybody left. Uh, I like to name successor agents just in case something bad happens to the first person. Well, if the first person passes away or becomes ill or has an accident or leaves the country, goes on vacation, is not available to help you, and there's nobody else, then the power of attorney is no good. If the, a court removes your agent and there's nobody left. So there are some situations that we'll talk about in a few minutes about when the power of attorney, the agent under power of attorney would be removed by a court. And lastly, if a guardian is appointed by the court. If anything goes wrong, or if you don't have a power of attorney, the probate court or the county court can appoint somebody to be your guardian. Normally we think of guardian as the person that takes care of minor children. If you lose, if you lose capacity, if they say you're incapacitated, that is substantially unable to make financial and legal decisions, then a court can appoint somebody to be your guardian. Anytime you have to go to court, that's a lawsuit. And lawsuits are expensive. You have to hire an attorney. You have to present evidence to the court. Probably have to have a hearing. All of these things take time and money. And so, a long time ago, back in 1993, the state of Texas established uh, the, the Statutory Power of Attorney Act. And what that did is it helped reduce the number of guardianship court cases being filed. Because prior to that date, you could have a power of attorney, but it would expire if you became incapacitated. The agent would only have authority until you lose capacity. You had to have uh, capacity in order for the agent to have authority to act on your behalf. Think about it like an employee-employer relationship. Well, the, the principal, that's the person signing these documents, think of that person as the employer. If they went out of business, if they were incapacitated, then the employee, the agent, would have nothing to do. Well, in 1993, they allowed the agent to be named even if the principal became incapacitated. That's what makes it durable. That's what durable means is that the power of attorney is good 
even after incapacity. So now the first thing you're going to do is name the person who you want to be your agent. And if you're married, it's perfectly natural for that to be your spouse. If you have children and you trust your children and you think that they would do a good job, it's perfectly natural to name children. If you want somebody who has more education and experience, you can name a bank or financial institution or trust company or trusted advisor like an attorney, a CPA, uh, or another consulting type professional. You could name anybody. You could name a friend from church to be your agent as long as you think that they're going to accept the appointment, they're going to accept the responsibility, and you think that they're going to do a good job, you think that they're going to follow your wishes, you think they have good judgment, you can name them. Next, you're going to decide which powers you're actually going to give them to do. You can uh, list these out on the statutory form. There's a list, uh, A through N as in Nancy, of typical things that people do under power of attorney. And you could pick and choose which of these you trust them to take care of, and you can pick and choose which ones you don't want them to do. We'll come back after a short break. I'll talk about uh, special instructions you can put in your power of attorney. Uh, We'll still talk about some changes that were made in 2017. And then we'll talk about some case studies and court cases. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. If you missed the first part of our show, you can listen again on Apple Podcasts. Just search Talk Law Radio and look for my smiling face. You can also find me on www.talklawradio.com. All of my episodes are saved there for your enjoyment. You can also let me know if you have questions I haven't talked about yet by emailing me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S as in Sam, T as in Timothy, at talklawradio.com. Let me know what your questions are, and I will find somebody to talk to about that subject on the radio. Before the break, we were talking about a list of powers and transactions that you can give your agent authority to take care of on the power of attorney. And there are things like real estate transactions, personal property transactions, uh, taxes. There's a whole list. And if there's something on the list that you don't want them to take care of, I would ask, why is that? Is it because you don't trust that person? Well, if not, you might want to name somebody else because we don't know which of these tasks, which of these transactions your agent is going to have to take care of for you because we can't predict the future. None of us has a crystal ball. So I like to name, I like to give the most flexibility by allowing my agent to 
make all of those decisions, and they would do so in my best interest. So letter O is essentially all of the above. Then you can insert special instructions. The first special instruction that the legislature uh, suggested in 2017 was the special instructions applicable to agent compensation. So you will initial in front of one of the following if if you want to. Uh, choice one, my agent is entitled to reimbursement of reasonable expenses incurred on my behalf and to compensation that is reasonable under the circumstances. Essentially, this is the selection you would make if you want to pay your agent like he or she is your financial secretary. The alternative is my agent is entitled to reimbursement of reasonable expenses incurred on my behalf, but shall receive no compensation for serving as my agent. Essentially, this means you expect your agent to serve as a volunteer. And it's up to you. I have had some clients that agonize over this decision, and for me, it's really not that important. Um, most parents would expect their adult children to do this job without compensation because parents did this job for their children for at least 18 years while they were minors, made all their decisions. And so uh, the last 18 years of my life, maybe when I'm older, maybe when I'm incapacitated, I expect my adult children to do the same for me. If you trust them, if you don't, then again, name a bank, financial institution, or trustee. Okay, next special instruction would be applicable to gifts. Now, the statutory form just says that uh, you can give uh, the authority to make gifts that are under the annual exclusion amount for federal gift tax purposes. So this year you can make gifts of $15,000 to an individual without having to file a 709 gift tax return. That's the annual exclusion amount. If you want to give, if you want your agent to have the authority to give more than that, then you'll want your attorney to insert a provision in your durable power of attorney that gives that specific authority. So I include additional things that make the agent's job more useful, and this could be the, the power to make gifts. And almost everybody I talk to has questions about, why in the heck would I want my agent to make gifts? Well, not for birthdays or Christmas. This is giving your agent authority to take money out of your account if it would help you achieve some tax advantage or qualify for some government benefit. Usually the tax advantage is reducing the value of your estate so that you can minimize or reduce your federal estate tax liability upon death. Now, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, the billionaires, are not going to pay any federal estate tax even though their estates are worth considerably more than the exemption 
the lifetime exemption, which is $11,700,000 this year. But because they've had attorneys and accountants working on their behalf since they earned their first million, they have plans in place that will allow them to leave an inheritance without having to pay federal estate tax. Most of the time, this is largely a voluntary tax for people that don't plan. So granting your agent authority to make these gifting decisions gives your agent flexibility to do some planning to reduce the likelihood or your liability under federal estate taxes. The other reason most of the time is to help you qualify for government benefits like Medicaid to pay the high cost of long-term care. Now, there are penalties for giving away your assets and applying for Medicaid, but those are just the general rules. There are exceptions to every rule, as you know. All you have to do is hire an attorney that knows those rules and knows those exceptions, and, and the attorney can explain how to make that process work. You're not saying on your power of attorney that you want to make gifts. You're just giving somebody permission to do so. For that reason, some attorneys that do lots of litigation call this power of attorney the power to steal because it's legally allowed and somebody's taking money out of your bank account. You really have to trust that they're going to act in your best interest. Now, the law does say that your agent has to act in your best interest. So there has to be some reason, other than just wanting to give away your money, that would benefit you, like reducing federal estate taxes or qualifying for a government benefit. I also insert lots of qualifying language that reduces the likelihood that problems will come up because of gifting. So uh, one exception I put in there is that the the purpose for uh, gifting would be tax savings or would be charitable, um, that the, the gifts would be given only to those who would be your beneficiary of your will or your trust, and that it wouldn't take away from your estate planning uh, methods and goals. So just keep that in mind. That's another reason that you should really talk to an attorney about this is so that you know what the risks are. You know what the advantages are. Okay, some other special instructions would be the authority to create, amend, revoke, or terminate an inter vivos trust. Hey, what's that? What's an inter vivos trust? Well, inter vivos is Latin for during life. It's also known as a living trust or a revocable trust. They all have the same feature that uh, the person creating it, the grantor or settlor, can amend, revoke, or restate the trust. So having complete authority over the trust. Do you want your agent under power of attorney to be able to create a trust like that for you? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It does create more flexibility in planning if things come up in the future that 
uh, deal with your finances and your assets and your property and your title, making things uh, easy to manage. But it's a pretty extraordinary power. Again, going back to do you trust this person to make these kinds of decisions? Do you think that they would ever steal? Um, sometimes I ask if you leave your purse or your wallet on the kitchen table and leave the room, would this person take any money out? Okay, another uh, special power would be making a gift for the benefit of a person um, who is the beneficiary of a different kind of trust or is the beneficiary of an account under uh, Uniform Transfers to Minor Act or some other qualified tuition program. So th these would be gifts mainly for minors or disabled people. Another special power might be to create or change rights of survivorship. When you open a bank account, you can name a survivor, or you can name a pay-on-death beneficiary or a transfer-on-death beneficiary. Would you give your agent authority to change the beneficiaries? That's a very extraordinary power because that could change your estate plan. The plan where you name beneficiaries, that's, that's a pretty extraordinary power to take away somebody's inheritance. And you would have to explain to the court or to other people how that benefited you. Another one would be changing beneficiary designations like on a life insurance policy or a retirement account. Again, there has to be some benefit to you. And the only time that I really recommend this is when we have generational wealth, where um, maybe your estate is above 11700000 and also your children have estates above 11700000 Maybe they would want to skip a generation. There, there are some generation-skipping transfer tax provisions you need to be aware of, but at least this would help them... Um, avoid that for, for their estate. And when you're doing generational planning, that could be part of your plan. So that might be a reason that this is permissible. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll keep talking about what a power of attorney is, what are the statutory changes, what are some court cases and case studies. Be right back. able to care for yourself or your home. Without powers of attorney, your loved ones will be forced to the world of court battles and guardianship lawsuits to declare you to be incapacitated. Better yet, ask about a living trust containing your instructions about where you want to live, how you want to be taken care of if you have a heart attack, stroke, or develop Alzheimer's or dementia. Call Marquardt Law Firm and find out how a living trust can help your loved ones settle your affairs without a judge in court. Call 210-530-4278. That's 210-530-4278. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. We're talking about power of attorney law today, what it is, what were the changes that the 2017 legislature made, and what are some case studies and court cases. I'll get right into it. Where we left off, 
were some special instructions that can be put into a power of attorney by an attorney at law. Uh, I just got through talking about some of the generational uh, wealth planning. Another thing that might come up, remember I talked about successors, what happens if your initial agent is unable to continue the job. Maybe your, your agent got sick. Maybe they had an injury or, or maybe they're too busy. You need to have a successor that would fall in line. We name them on the document. But in 2017, the Texas legislature added something where you can name some, well, you, you can insert a special instruction where your agent can authorize another person to exercise the authority granted under the power of attorney. The legal word for that is delegation. And usually a fiduciary can't delegate their discretionary uh, power. But in this circumstance, it does make the power of attorney more flexible. And so I ask, uh, would you trust your agent to name somebody they trust to make financial and legal decisions for you? And if you don't know who your successors should be, and you don't want the court to establish a guardianship that would be expensive, then you can give your agent authority to name somebody to do the same job. Some other things that I like to include are special instructions regarding real estate and mineral interests. I like to include one regarding tax matters that would allow your agent authority to sign a tax return. And then one of the biggest choices that you make on the power of attorney is, do you want to make this power of attorney effective immediately, even though you're still healthy and alive? Or do you want to make it effective only if a physician certifies in writing that you're incapacitated because of a medical or healthcare condition like stroke, heart attack, Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, whatever the case may be? So choice A, the power of attorney is not affected by my subsequent disability or incapacity, essentially means that you're making it effective immediately. The advantage of doing that is that your agent doesn't have to drag you to the doctor's office to have you declared to be incapacitated. And some people do it for convenience, maybe for a spouse. I read a case study one time where a married couple was selling their house uh, and the buyers were moving from outside of the state to Texas. Well, you know, the closing day on a, the sale of a residence is very important. If, if you, you don't want to breach your contract. And so in this uh, specific case study, the wife brought the U-Haul uh, uh, full of the stuff to San Antonio and came to the closing with the power of attorney. Well, the other spouse, the husband, had to stay home in the other state with the sick child uh, with a fever. So that's why they didn't come. The travel would have been difficult and uncomfortable and nobody wanted to get sick, and so one spouse came 
and had a power of attorney with authority to close the real estate transaction, and that was mainly just for convenience. Okay, so choosing B, the alternative, making the power of attorney effective only if a physician certifies in writing that you're incapacitated because of a medical condition, we call that a springing power of attorney because it springs into action at some point in the future. So basically, the people that would rely on the power of attorney would only rely on it if there were a doctor's note attached to the back. And so that requires a doctor's appointment, which sometimes takes a couple of weeks before somebody will see you. And some problems that I've encountered, people come into my office complaining about things, is that their loved one, their older parent or disabled family member, refuses to go to the doctor. And so how can you get a doctor's letter? How can you have them declared to be incapacitated if they won't go? Well, there are some strategies that you could employ. Okay, so that those are the choices when it becomes effective. And then um, this, the legislature also encourages people to read important information for an agent. So what we always include instructions for the agent that describes what the law is and how to do a good job. So it these instructions will say in, in part, I'm not going to read everything to you, but some things that are important. A fiduciary duty is the duty that uh, your agent has. When you accept the authority granted under power of attorney, you establish a fiduciary relationship. It's a special legal relationship that imposes on you legal duties to continue until you resign or until it's revoked. The fiduciary duty includes the duty to act in good faith. That's important. That's what I was talking about. Somebody that you would trust to act in your best interest. Okay, so that's what a power of attorney is. I talked about a few of the changes that the legislature made, and uh, I didn't quite get to the case law on this. Um, Now it's time for me to discuss the legacy segment because uh, Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show, and we focus on last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans, all with the bigger picture in mind of leaving a legacy. How do you want people to remember you by? You can't take it with you, and so who are you going to leave it to? Well, in today's legacy segment, I'm going to talk about another case study. Imagine there's an older woman with two adult children. Imagine one of the adult children is a daughter who works at the hospital who's incredibly busy living life. Imagine the other adult child is a son who does not work, uh, but he does live and take care. He lives with the older woman, takes care of her, whatever that means, whatever the older woman needs. Uh, Imagine the older woman gets too sick, um, but doesn't have her affairs in order. After returning home from the hospital, her son presents her with papers, which are not explained to her, because they're not at an attorney's office. 
He simply presents them to her and takes her to a notary for her to sign at the UPS store. Sometime later, the older woman gets even more ill. She has a stroke, taken to the hospital again. The son transfers her to a nursing home following her hospital stay. None of the daughter's input was uh, solicited during this process. She only discovers her mom's in the nursing home after all this has happened. Uh, You can imagine how heartbroken a daughter who works in a hospital would be because she probably would feel like that she has some expertise to lend in a situation and making sure that her mom is taken care of well. Imagine further that the daughter discovers while the older woman is in the nursing home that her brother, the son, has sold all of their mother's belongings, consolidated her funds, and son has purchased kennels and dogs and has started a pit bull breeding business. You can imagine how the adult daughter would feel about her mom's money being spent this way, not really for her benefit or in her best interest. Imagine further after the older woman's death that there's a a fight in probate court between the daughter and son over the last remaining asset, the mom's house. Imagine further that daughter and son's attorney's fees are easily equal to half the value of the house. Is this really the legacy that the older woman would have wanted to leave? Wouldn't it have been much better for the older woman to have met with an attorney before she got sick to learn about the characteristics of a good agent? Wouldn't it have been much better for the older woman to have written her wishes in a legally enforceable last will or living trust? to possibly reduce litigation expenses? I think so. So the the next time you're talking to somebody who just happens to mention that they don't have any legal documents or they don't have a will or they don't have a power of attorney or they don't know who to trust, you might mention that they should see an attorney, an attorney that focuses on business and estate law last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. So, now that you know this information, do something about it. If it's been a few years, remember I said this power of attorney has been, uh, or the Power of Attorney Act has been changed and updated over the years. So the last change was in 2017, and so if your power of attorney was established before then, Call an attorney. Thanks for listening. What if you are no longer able to care for yourself or your home? Without powers of attorney, your loved ones will be forced to the world of court battles and guardianship lawsuit to declare you to be incapacitated. Better yet, ask about a living trust containing your instructions about where you want to live, how you want to be taken care of, if you have a heart attack, stroke, or develop Alzheimer's or dementia. Call Marquardt Law Firm and find out how a living trust can help your loved ones settle your affairs without a judge in court. Call 210-530-4278. That's 210-530-4278.